0: Welcome to Wait, What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee, where we take a look at the sports industry with a unique lens, sometimes serious, sometimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, always with passion for this business that we've called home for a while. I'm your co-host, David Paro.
1: And I'm Tim McGee.
0: So lots of things going on in this crazy world of ours, Tim, but uh, we're extremely excited about the show today. So let's jump right into it. Tim, tell us what's on your mind.
1: Well, we say uh, we take a sometimes serious look at sports, and I think that's what we're going to have to do today, given what's going on in uh, Ukraine. Uh, I'm really um, proud to be part of this industry to see it react so quickly and so decisively um, to punish, for lack of a better term, uh, Russia for their invasion of Ukraine. Um, you know, started very quickly uh, six days ago, but. Uh, UEFA was one of the UEFA was one of the first properties to, to come out um, in support of Ukraine. Um, they have uh, they have kicked Russia out of the UEFA Championship Champions League. No games will be played there. Uh, they just canceled their uh, Gazprom uh, sponsorship, the Russian gas company, which was worth forty five million dollars a year to UEFA. So. Uh, certainly more than just a gesture um, on their part. FIFA banned Russia from World Cup qualifying. Um, Manchester United ended their sponsorship with Aeroflot, the official state airline of Russia. Uh, there's a number of other things. The AT- ATP uh, will not hold an event in Russia. F1 said the Sochi Grand Prix has been canceled. So there's a lot of other stuff going on as well. Uh, Schalke, second division German club um, who had Gazprom on their kit um, has removed it, which um, in a nice, nice case of unintended consequences, there's been a run on Schalke jerseys now. Um, the ones not featuring the, the, um, the uh, logo on the kit. So what are your thoughts
0: Well, I I agree. I think it's been pretty impressive uh, that the sports industry has stepped up quickly. You know, this is, you know, the expression that you know, follow the money or it's always about the money, and in many ways it is, um, and there's a lot of money at stake here. You know, we've had these issues with China and the NBA before, uh, and there is a certain degree, uh, whether it's the UAE or whether it's China or whether it's Russia, and I think Russia has been the biggest A purveyor of this concept of sports washing right that everything can be solved through sports and you've got a guy in in putin that is a humongous sports fan and you know likes to think he's quite a bit of a hockey player uh, which is somewhat comical Uh, but that you know you host events and you do this and that and you throw money around on the sports world and there's enough business to be had there uh, that that maybe things will you know, people will look the other way or countries will look the other way. Well, this is obviously something where people can't, countries can't, leaders can't. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how much it steps up. Uh, but but yeah, I think the the individuals that have that have come out, the statements that have come out to the, the U.S. Women's National Team, which we're going to talk about in a second as well. Has come out with a very aggressive statement i thought the nhl statement given that they have russian and ukrainian players playing uh was quite good uh they did have to add the point about um you know wanting to protect the russian players that are supposedly under some threats but it's a very um you know it's it's an interesting situation i mean our biggest uh, star in the league uh, in the NHL that's a Russian is Alexander Ovechkin, who is a legitimate big time star, one of the greatest players ever to play this game. Uh, he has he has been close with Putin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while he's trying to be very non-political now, which is a smart move on his part, there are ties there. So, um, you know, I, I don't think any any no athletes should be threatened. they're they're creating they're having their livelihood here. Uh, hopefully it's a wake up call. I mean, I think the Abramovich situation is very interesting in in Chelsea because he has come out and said that he's going to try to help broker peace. Well, he's had to step away from the, from the role, but can he really do that? Will the, do the oligarchs have, have the power to do it? Um, uh, We shall see. Maybe sports is the way that, that, (laughs) that hopes to solve it. I mean, I, I don't mean to sound blindly optimistic there uh, or like a, a, you know, a complete, Idiot uh, of thinking or being that delusional, but um, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep hope alive. I suppose.
1: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think you're an idiot, and I, uh, you know, in the case of well, Abramovich, thank you, Tim. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> it's talk about being damned with faint praise, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, in the case of Obamovich, I think what he has done. You know, we say we take a sometimes cynical look at the sports world. Um, I'm going to be cynical for a moment. I think him stepping away from the day-to-day of Chelsea is a somewhat self-serving move uh, because uh, because he is viewed as what he is, which is an oligarch who made his fortunes after the fall of the Soviet Union and was, uh, you know, granted special access to you know to resources and companies and opportunities that uh, most others do not get. Um, so his ability to broker piece, I, I don't, I, I'm skeptical. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see the charitable foundation, which is supposed to be taking over the control of the club as of this morning had had not yet done so. So, uh, but before we turn to women's soccer, just uh, real quick talking about optimism, you were the one who said that baseball would, uh, would get the deal done and uh, it is coming down As we sit here now recording this, we are 31 minutes away from the uh, supposed deadline before games will be canceled. So I've got my phone right next to me and I'm anxiously hoping to get some sort of notification that they've come to an agreement they seem to be getting close
0: well i yes it does and and they made the big point about it you know last and final offer which is always really funny when i hear that right. um but yeah we'll know by the time this uh is posted this podcast is posted i guess what uh, what the reception to that was I did come on a couple of weeks after that. And, and I think said, well, clearly I was a little, uh, I was a little overly optimistic as to where that. No, was I, going I forget felt, that. But, I just, re- yeah, yeah, you, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do, but you're right before we go to that, but there is another big geopolitical issue in at play here in the world of sports. And that's the, um, uh, that's the matter of the, uh, of the live golf uh, project uh, the Saudi back. Um, Super Golf League that uh, has gotten Phil Mickelson in one world of trouble, hasn't it?
1: I think uh, I think the term is he has really stepped in it. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, he
1: came out and basically said, yeah, what the Saudis did with uh, Khashoggi was bad, but if it uh, leads to changes in the PGA Tour, then maybe it's worth it to become involved with the Saudi back. League that that is uh, that is trying to start, and uh, Rory McIlroy of of all people really came out and um, in no uncertain terms said we, what he thought about Mickelson's comments, um, which I thought was nice to see. I, I I'd like to give Mickelson the benefit of the doubt, um, but I can't <laughs> uh, yeah. because he knew what he was saying, yeah. and um, the fact of the matter is that you know his sponsors then spoke out in the best way they could um, you know first KPMG dropped them then Callaway
0: and so it's been an unbelievable fallout and the, one of the reasons we like talking about these things is that it really does have an impact on this side of the business Phil was certainly one of the more popular endorsers on the on the tour uh you mentioned KPMG, Stellar Artois, um, Workday, Callaway all of them distancing and he lost the the gig as the host of the Amec of the American Express mm-hmm. The golf event and um and his charitable foundation will no longer be associated with it so it, it, again speaking of cynical i mean his whole approach to the thing was just such a completely cynical way to go about almost uh, about doing it yeah it was and and that's the thing he he now says he was you know playing one against the other to improve the pga tour i'm telling you the things he said originally as far as blasting the pga tour seemed to me as though yeah, we may give him the benefit of the doubt there, but it seemed to me he was already cashing something. Um, he had
1: thirty years to try to change the PGA Tour yeah. from within, and
0: uh, yeah. you know, I
1: I don't know what he did in that time to try to affect change.
0: We're going to hope to take this subject up a little more uh, in the coming week. We 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 have a guest that we're we're hoping to chat with on on this front, um, and I think it's going to be really important discussion. But uh, I I will say this: the leadership from from Jay Monahan. Has has been impressive. I mean, everybody getting in the fold, some of the young stars like Colin Markawa, uh Brooks Kepka came out and just were blasting Rory, of course, ma- massive leadership here. Uh, and then when two big stars, Dustin Johnson uh, and Bryson DeChambeau were were rumored to be offered huge dollars uh, from the from this new league. Uh, and they ended up going, whoa, whoa, no way. So their loyalty, I think, pledged to the tour uh, was, uh, was pretty impressive.
1: Well, I don't know if the, if the offer was a rumor. I think maybe um their willingness to accept that offer might have been right. the rumor. But I can imagine a scenario in which those guys called their agent and said, Have we signed that yet? Yeah. Um, seeing the the backlash and the fallout for yeah. Phil.
0: Yeah, and they're and they're two of the biggest endorsed, you know, uh properties out there on the tour. So uh, you know, in terms of long term uh it it you know, it's a it's a business where as long as your health stays up, they have a chance to make a lot of money as players and build long-term relationships, which Phil had done. Look at he him on the senior panting. tour. Yeah, right, right. He was
1: killing. He was just yeah. he was running away with the field. So, you, you know, yeah, I think, um, you know, sports can't solve the world's problems, but it can shine a pretty good light on them um, to focus attention so that people who are in a position to solve them can. So when when it does things like the global football properties have done like f1 has done um what some of these sponsors have done in the case of of phil i i think it you know it gives me hope that um you know some good can come out of this uh what we're doing
0: hey i want to read the uh, u.s women's national team um uh message about um about the Russia situation before I transition into, uh, into another comment because I thought okay. it was nice. We, and it was strong. We will neither tarnish our global name nor dishonor Ukraine by taking the same field as Russia, no matter the level of competition or circumstance, until freedom and peace have been restored. Um, pretty unequivocal there. So uh, and I do think it'll be interesting to see because, you know, FIFA and, and UEFA have have made these cancellations. We'll see how it plays out as, uh, you know, as we get a little closer and whether they'll actually be able to uh, uh, participate uh, since mm-hmm. they can't participate in any of these qualifiers. But, you know, it's just last week. It feels like it was three months ago <laughs> that a very, very big sports business news story uh, hit. And um that U.S. Soccer and the U.S. Women's National Team had finally reached a settlement in the gender discrimination uh, suit that was brought the most recent time in 2019 by by the team and specifically by a number of the well-known stars, Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan, uh, in particular, stand out as as real leaders in that uh, uh, in that deal. Twenty-four million dollar settlement, twenty-two million of it going directly to the players for back pay, and two million into a into a fund that is to support. Um, Uh, girls' soccer, uh, you know, moving forward and building that. Now, the one sticking point here, potential sticking point, is that uh, U.S. soccer pledged that this would never happen again and there would be equal pay moving forward, contingent on the negotiation of a new CBA, a collective bargaining agreement. And uh, Hope Solo, who has, you know, is arguably the greatest goalkeeper, women's goalkeeper ever at play, um, has been brutal about the deal, not being as positive as, as the, as the more current players uh, on it, feeling like she, she can't trust us soccer, but the players most active in the suit seem very happy. And it certainly seems like a watershed moment, I think in, in gender equality, uh, and pay equality, uh, in the world of sports. So, uh, uh, you know, on a personal level, I, I was very excited to see it. I think it was deserved. I think the women's team have performed incredibly over the years, obviously to a much higher level than the than the men's team. Uh, and it was it, it was exciting to see that news break.
1: Yeah, um, we're, we're, this year we're we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the passage of Title IX. Um, so we're really on sort of the second or third generation of, of women who are benefiting from that, from that landmark legislation. Uh, but w- what I, you know, they have had such a storied history of success on the pitch. Uh, but w- what I love even more about the women's national team is, number one, their commitment to this cause. Even with some of these players who won't benefit because they won't be playing in subsequent international combat competitions, uh, but it seems that every generation of women on that team sort of builds upon their their predecessors, right? Going back to the the days of uh, you know Mia Hamm and Michelle Akers and uh brandy chastain and you know on to the sort of the abby wombach era and then the alex morgan and carly lloyd and megan rapinoe era and now you know going into the next round of international competitions over the next four years or so uh but they are just uh, they are the embodiment of what sport is supposed to be right
0: um
1: and i'm so happy to see that they have the opportunity now to be compensated and recognized um Alongside their male peers,
0: yeah. For those who don't follow this story uh, all that close, I, I think one of the interesting things has been is the pushback against the women has been that um, the the men's competitions generate more revenue um, and a variety of other things. Uh, but but that isn't entirely true. Um, while the television deals may pay more for the men. Uh, the women did have a different structure to their deal. That probably mm-hmm. won't be the case moving forward. Uh, and that probably was costly from a negotiation standpoint. Uh, however, you're right. They never let up. And this team has been nothing but success. And beyond how much success they've had, which include, you know, of the eight World Cups, they've won four of them, finished on the podium in the other four. They've won uh, four Olympic Games of the, of the seven with soccer in it. They've obviously dominated uh, CONCACAF by the way, my favorite sports acronym anyway, um Wait, so what? dominated yeah
1: <laughs> concacaf because I, of
0: the I just love it. I love saying it. i can't I get all you can see I get all giddy when I say it for whatever reason, even with all the even with all the syllables in it and all the and all the consonants and the hard sound of it, I like saying concacaf. I can't lie, okay. It's just what it is, so they the The thing that I have looked to them the most at is is if you look at the u s soccer uh, mission of developing the sport in this country and building it at all levels, who has done more for building that uh and and look at how much these athletes are looked up to by these young girls that are starting out in this game so the la- the last thing I want to say on the on the women's soccer situation is just how much they've been leaders um uh, at, at driving that interest in the sport at a, at a youth level. And I'm not saying that the men haven't done it, but I don't think they've done it close to the level that the women have. So from that standpoint alone, this to me is very satisfying settlement. Agreed. We are going to actually take a quick break here. and We're going to be back with our, our friend, Steve. It's, it's time for our guest. All right, we are very happy to have Steve Luletta join us today. Steve has been on all sides of this business brand side, client side, property side. So he brings a very unique and educated perspective. Cut his teeth, sports marketing teeth at Miller Brewing. It wasn't surprising then that Steve was tapped. See what I did there? (laughs) To lead uh, Chip Ganassi's racing operation, which included multiple teams in IndyCar and NASCAR. And after 10 years with Ganassi, he launched his own consultancy, Pigeon Sports Marketing. But, of course, it wasn't long before the principals of 2311 Racing, who just happened to be Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan, came calling and named Jake president. So welcome, Steve. And I I, got to do something to get out of the way quickly. I've known you, I feel like, since we were kids in this business or practically kids in this business. And I call you Steve sometimes and I call you Jake sometimes without even thinking about it. So if you can give our listeners a quick background on where the Jake thing came from. Yeah, I appreciate it.
2: It's funny because I always introduce myself as Steve, and then halfway through a conversation, somebody will drop the Jake, and, and the person <laughs> that just met me will just glaze over, like, Who the hell is that? It's happened all the time. So it's really a simple story. The first agency I worked for was Cato Johnson uh, Sports Marketing, which had the Miller account, and I joined their uh, office in Atlanta, small office. It was like four people, and um, it was run by a guy named Steve. And so the second day I showed up there, the two other account managers I work with started calling me Jake, and I was like, "Where did that come from?" And they said, "We already have a Steve in this office, so you're Jake." And they thought Laletta <laughs> sounded like Lamada, Jake Lamada, the Raging <laughs> Bull. And I go, "That's stupid. It'll never stick, but have at it." And here it is, twenty God knows how many years later, and I I went from there to Miller, Miller's agency to Miller. Jake continues, and then I went to work for Chip. Well, I worked for the Radiate group of agencies, which had GMR in it. Jake continued. Chip, new Rusty Wallace, and Don Perdome, who called me Jake. It just never, it never leaves. And now I have Michael Jordan calling me Jake.
0: Yeah. Oh, that. Well, that's. I mean, that's just amazing. That's Boom. Awesome. First a, name that, drop. That is it. That's a serious. <laughs> Jake had dropped some serious names. Man. I don't know. So about that. so. Um, listen, there seems to be a great renewed energy around NASCAR. And and I wanted to get an overall sense from you before we go into more specifics is how you would characterize that coming off the bushlight clash in LA at the Coliseum and the Daytona 500, where where your team had an amazing second place finish. And then of course, this past weekend in Fontana, how would you characterize the overall energy going on in the sport?
2: It's fantastic. It's been building. Um, you mentioned that I worked for Chip for 10 and a half years and I left in March of 2018. And I really stayed away from the sport entirely um, until about August of 2020. So two, you know, a little over two years, two and a half years, give it. And, you know, I watched it on TV, but I wasn't involved in the business. And now, you know, since I've been back helping build this 2311 team, there just is a lot of great energy. I think you see it in the new owners joining like Michael Denny, Justin Marks and Pitbull and a few others, Emmett Smith and Xfinity, um, you know, what Bubba did in 2020 and, and kind of making statements to have the sport more inclusive, which Steve Phelps and the NASCAR leadership jump right in on. Um, and, and now you get to, you know, I've been one when I've been around this sport for a long time talking about needing to take chances, needing to do things that are different. At even just to test and learn, because if you, if you keep doing the same thing, going to the same tracks, doing the same marketing, you're just going to have that same fan base, which gets older every year, like all of us. And they're really putting it out there and changes to the schedule, this new car. You mentioned the clash, you know, finally good weather in Daytona. It, it, every time, and I've gone to all the races so far this year, just the vibe is, is really something that I haven't been around for you know probably seven to ten years
1: yeah so i mean talking about your role at 2311 um the team itself seems to be at the center of a lot of that energy um given given the high profile nature of your owners given the high profile nature of your driver uh, you know does does that add pressure to what you're trying to do
2: I don't think it adds pressure. I think it—it's it, what drew me back, right? I—I I told, and Chip and I laugh about this, but I told him when I left, you know, that I would never work for another race team. And he still <laughs> says that to me today. Yeah, you told me you weren't going to work for another race team. And when I started this project, which was basically, you know, four and a half months to build a team that you would normally want eighteen to twenty-four months to do, I thought it would be fun. I'd get them ready for Daytona, and then I'd kind of drift away, but. But the excitement and the energy around this team and the fact that it's br- everything we're doing is brand new and, you know, unlike Chip's team or Andretti or Penske or Hendrik that have been around this forever, it's it's just so fun to to come to you know work on this every day and be able to chart our own path. And, you know, I say all the time we're building a brand and what I want to do is build a brand in 2311 that happens to be a NASCAR team, not a NASCAR team brand. And we're able to do that so far with the partners we have, this Netflix docuseries that just launched uh, a week ago, you know, a lot of the things that we're able to to um think about doing Denny and Bubba in a post Malone video like we can do this stuff and 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 it be endemic to what we're building as opposed to people going what's that race team doing in that video right because of Michael because of Denny because of the companies that have stepped up in Doordash McDonald's and dr. Pepper and monster energy now to grow to a second team and Toyota it's just it's really energizing so I don't feel any pressure I mean a it's it's really the desire to break the mold and do it differently that that kind of makes it what it is.
0: Hey, Tim, have you noticed how good Jake is at at answering questions? He touches on almost everything we wanted to try to cover during this and just like the first one or two questions. But we're going to keep going regardless because (laughs) we're taking advantage of our time. Um, Hey, one of the things you mentioned early was the support that you're getting from uh, NASCAR and NASCAR leadership, including President Steve Phelps. you know, obviously there are big efforts from a diversity and inclusion standpoint. How 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 are you working with them? And, and kind of give us a little inside look at, at how what you're trying to do in the sport um, and to bring it to a larger audience and bring more inclusiveness into it dovetails with what NASCAR is doing.
2: It aligns right on target. You know, we both we're we're trying to walk the talk in terms of our team makeup um looking outside of the traditional motorsports space you know I, I love to bring in people that know nothing about racing to work for me on the business side because i and we're doing it on the competition side too because i want people to say what do you do that for right like everybody gets into this routine of doing the same thing over and over again and twenty three eleven is able to come out and say how about we do it this way? Let every other, I feel successful when every other team is standing on the left and we're the only ones standing on the right. Like that's a good day for us. And I feel like because of that, you know, we're able to work a little bit differently with NASCAR. We're able to capitalize on some of the initiatives and, and be the, you know, the, the light that goes with them on some of the initiatives that they want to do as a sport. And so we talk to them all the time on a number of different things and you know i've had people that have been around this sport for decades come up to me in the garage area and say just the vibe around your two haulers is so different than the rest of the garage or when you're standing with us on the grid the amount of people that are around us whether they're influencers celebrities or just fans it's really pretty interesting to watch and i think nascar sees it and as I said earlier, you know Steve and his whole team have been great to, to work with us on ideas like the Netflix documentary and like some of the things that we're doing from a DEI perspective. That I feel like we're in lockstep and will continue to be that way.
1: We had a conversation last summer, um, shortly before you guys made the announcement that you were adding the second team with Kirk Bush, and you said at the time that one of the things that you that you liked was the fact that. Bubba was improving on the track from week to week. And especially when he'd go back to a track uh, for the second time in the season. So uh, two questions for you. Number one, what are you looking for from Bubba this year and how is adding, you know, a a great veteran driver like Kirk Bush going to help him?
2: Yeah. If you would have asked me, Tim, in 2020 or even Early 2021, when 2311 would grow to a second team, I would have said in 2023. I, I didn't think we would do it for a number of reasons in 2022. But like anything, when all the pieces of the puzzle line up, it's hard to say no. And and the biggest piece of the puzzle was who could we bring in that would help the team and Bubba and the existing organization take that next step. And, and it was Kurt Busch becoming available, um, you know, halfway through last year. And we started having conversations about what could that look like and and what would it look like to have Bubba, who's never had a teammate on the cup level before, be able to lean on somebody that is a champion. And if you talk to, as Denny did, some of his former teammates from a driver perspective they would say he's the greatest teammate they've ever had we knew at that point if he was interested we had to put all of our focus in doing it meaning funding other people you know stretching our building which we're renting right now because we're going to build a shop down the road um, once we you know can kind of get that organized everything that's been coming at us so you know my expectation is both of these cars make the playoffs this year I mean we should be Able to do that, uh, we you know got Bubba's first win and the team's first win in October of last year, and I feel like we've now with this new car kind of evens out the playing field across all the organizations, and it's another step as to why Michael and Denny and Curtis Polk, who you know all put this together with us uh, in 2020, were so smart to do it at that time. We got a year under our belt as a team with this old car. And then we move into the new car and we're not at the at what a lot of teams are challenged with now is being this massive organization that's trying to adjust to a new way of doing business. We're just easing right into it and growing with it. And it it was just brilliant as for the timing. And so far it's I think it's playing itself out. You know, we sit ninth and twelfth in points. Granted, we're only two in, but it's it's better than a lot of options, and I think we just gotta keep getting better every week.
0: you've had the opportunity to work with some big names across a number of different sports, certainly in motorsports, some of the, the legends, we mentioned Rusty Wallace before, uh, the snake, Don Prudhomme, I mean, true, true legends and super successful drivers. Bubba has a huge name. He's starting to have some success. Um, and then you also have, and, but his, he's well known. He's well known for a, a lot of reasons beyond that. And you add to this mix, one of the most iconic athletes in the, in the history of the world in MJ. What has that been like? Um, you know, is it, is it just like dealing with any other um, famous driver, famous athlete that you have, or does it, the MJ factor bring a whole new level to this?
2: Well, yeah, of course it does, right, because of, of who he is and what his brand stands for. And so we always have to think about, you know and denny too i mean denny is going to be a hall a hall of famer as soon as he retires he's won three daytona 500s he's in the in the you know final race fighting for a championship which i tell him you know every time he's working on twenty three eleven stuff i i remind him i say denny the most important thing you can do for the future of this race team is go win a championship because your your partner has many of them and it would be just a, a great part of the story so you know the thing that I've been most—I um, don't want to say surprised, but I've been pleased about—is Michael loves this sport. I mean, it's beyond. I when we get to sit down and talk racing, it's truly a passion of his. And you know, you could have you could have thought like he's doing this to help his friend Denny Hamlin, you know, start a team. So he reti- when he retires, he has this this ownership. But he's he's in it. He really. He really loves this sport, and when that happens, you know everybody everybody around the team feels it. Um, but yeah, we also know we have to be at the top of our game because he expects that, and he was he is that from you know his personality, and we definitely pay attention to that. And Bubba knows it too, right? Bubba realizes that he needs to put the on track success at a level that matches what notoriety and recognition he has off the track and if he does both of those things which we all think he will it he's going to be a a force to be reckoned with and that means this team will as well
1: and you know the success on the track translates to commercial success and you guys have had a tremendous amount of commercial success um attracting new sponsors we'll talk a little bit more in a bit about the netflix series but you know, what's the secret, you know, to the success of selling sponsorships at 2311 and and how do you how do you feel about the overall climate for sponsorships in the sport?
2: I, I think it I'll start with the the secret of the success was you know, Bubba's management team, Rod Moskowitz and and his group at Pro Sport in 2020 sort of taking advantage of what Bubba was doing on the social justice front to align with some companies that saw that they could help his vision. And that was before 2311 was even a thought process. Um, So, you know, they started to align some of these major brands. At the time, it was DoorDash, McDonald's, Columbia um, with Bubba. And then Bubba getting to decide where was the best place for him to go race, which became... 2311 and then we added you know Root insurance and dr pepper and now we've added the second car um with with uh money lion and jordan brand and monster energy and so the ability to have what i think is a good team around me and our thought process of of doing things differently Is certainly um, of interest I think what we're doing off the track is of interest and the many ways that we can deliver value because of the halo of our ownership now um, also helps you know it it doesn't it's not a bad thing when you bring guests to the racetrack and and they get to say hello to Denny Hamlin who's climbing in the the FedEx Toyota or Michael um, and then you know build some programming together so they're all really well aligned, you know, McDonald's serves Dr. Pepper. So they do things together and DoorDash delivers McDonald's. So they do things together, you know? And, and so we've got a, just some really strong opportunities to continue to leverage this platform way farther than logos on race cars, which I feel like if teams continue to, to start to develop content and things that are as far away from selling logos on race cars as possible, that this is a very powerful marketing platform, and therefore the the um, climate is strong. I do think there's a number of teams that haven't figured that out yet, and so they struggle so good for us because if if we can if we can lead the way, then we'll be first and get more than our share.
0: Well, I do love seeing that. McDonald's livery running running out front. I'll have to say. How about so, winning, uh, finally winning put him in well, victory lane. Ab- absolutely, absolutely, and I'm looking forward to the first win uh, uh, this season as well. I, I bet- want to go. Oh, hey, hey yeah. Paro.
2: I bet when when we won, and McDonald's finally pulled into victory lane. You read that? You probably said, "Wait, what? Wait."
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, I almost said, wait, what, when Jimmy Spencer put the McDonald's car victory lane and I didn't happen to be at that race. I was like, wait, what? He won. We're making a switch. Uh, I just said that, didn't I? Anyway, um, I want to go back to something you touched on before, because I think when when it was announced that Michael was coming in and he talked about how much passion he had for this sport and how his dad used to take him to uh, races in North Carolina, I think that caught a few people by surprise. Um, having gone to school in North Carolina, understanding the power of the sport, it didn't really surprise me that much, but he never was that outspoken about it. A lot has happened in the last few years, including the banning of the Confederate flag at, at racetracks. I'm not saying that's singularly caused that, but do you think it is a more, uh, open and inviting environment for African Americans to talk about their love for the sport or certainly give the sport a try Moving forward, now that that rule has changed, and there's a there's a different attitude with with black ownership as well as a driver starting to have some success in Bubble Wallace.
2: A hundred percent, yes. I mean, there's it's it's um noticeable at the racetrack that the fan base is changing. It's noticeable for us from a social media follower perspective. You know, we we have a younger fan base following us. We have. A, more diverse fan base following us. We, we have general sports fans following us. Again, you know, when I talk about building a brand that happens to be uh, a race team, you know, one of the things that I use as the example when I talk to even partners about this is, you know, you'll even in North Carolina, I'll pass people on the street and they'll have a New York Yankees hat on. And, and my guess is if I stop them, they probably have not watched a Yankees game in God knows how long. And they may not be able to tell me any players on the Yankees current day, but they wear that hat because the brand stands for something, it stands for attitude, championships, whatever, pinstripes, whatever you think. It's got some meaning. And that's what I that's what we want to build at 2311 is you know, somebody in Seattle, Washington that's never been to the racetrack, but they have this feeling of all right, that brand stands for something, they've done some things that i believe in and i want to i'm going to rep them and you know hopefully they watch us every once in a while and hopefully they support our our partners but that's the opportunity here and we just need to continue to take advantage of it we just hired our first director of marketing who started like two weeks ago um and she's going to be helping build that brand strategy i mean literally our business staff last year was seven people me and six others and it was like just running to get to race to race and now we can we're we're at least big enough where we can look a little more strategically and we're only entering year 2. We're we're two races into year 2 and we're up against teams that have been doing this for 20, 30, 40, yeah. 50 years. So uh, we, I feel like we're in a we're in a good space and we've got a lot of runway ahead of us.
1: You talked earlier about the Netflix series. Tell us a little bit about how that came about cuz that's that's going to have an enormous impact on, on building the 2311 brand.
2: Yeah. Again, another, another um, shout out to Rod Moskowitz and pro sport who started, you know, to have some conversations about, okay, as, as, as 2020 is unfolding, you know, where is Bubba going to go in 2021? How do we develop some content? Um, He's got a relationship with, with Kevin Lyles and 300 entertainment who said, you know, why don't we, pitch this as a as a documentary and we'll follow you guys around we obviously then had 2311 coming on board so it became not only bubba's story but the 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 next step in his racing journey while building michael jordan and denny hamlin's new race team so again like a lucky strike extra to add that to what bubba had been going through in 2020 with the confederate flag and the talladega incident and everything that went with it so we we jumped in with Pro Sport. Um, you know, Denny made a big commitment of time to be involved. We let him in the shop. NASCAR helped with access at the racetracks, and obviously, Bubba did did his piece. And it is, if you haven't watched it, it's uh, six episodes, and it's just compelling. He was very very open. You know, a lot of us were like, "Are you sure you want to be that open?" <laughs> and he just he just did a great job, and he comes across. You know, people. He, he's fairly polarizing and, and for reasons that are that are not the right reasons, you know, like the color of his skin. And if you watch this and and don't come away with a feeling of of what this kid's all about and his attitude and what he's gone through and what he goes through every weekend um, to try to be the best. Um, but he's the only one. It is it, it will get your attention. And, and I think you'll have a different feeling about Bubba Wallace for sure.
0: It is definitely on the queue for sure to uh, to watch that. So thanks for giving our listeners um, a look at that. I definitely want to reiterate the uh, Rod Moskowitz praise here. A uh, big fan of Rod's. I think it's great what he's done. He seems to be uh, often in the background, but making a lot of things happen in this sport, for sure.
2: Yeah, he sure does. I mean, look at his, you know, not only his roster in NASCAR, which is, Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, the last two champions, Denny Hamlin, who, you know, that's how I got involved with this. Rod calling me, you know, in August of 2020 saying, hey, Denny has this idea of becoming a team owner. Like, I got so much going on. Will you help him? And I was like, yeah, I can be behind the scenes and talk to him. And, you know, one thing led to another and here it is a year and a half later and I'm still helping those guys and and I'm having, you know, having fun doing it. And they're letting me, you know, kind of help chart the course of, of what I like to say is, you know, 2311, we started the year last year as the bright, shiny toy in the NASCAR garage, and somehow we ended the year after winning in, in Talladega as the bright, shiny toy, and here we are starting the second year um, in, in a pretty enviable position, so who wouldn't, who wouldn't like to be involved in something like that?
1: Yeah, you might have been the only executive in the history of sports to not want the interim title taken
2: off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somebody said to me, I saw one of the other team owners in, at the Clash, you know, Friday was like Tech Day, and I walked out of our hauler, and he goes, hey, you went from being retired to being here on Tech Day. <laughs> what are you doing? And I looked at him, and I go, you have my permission. Just punch me square in the face. I'm like, what? But, but I'm telling you, it's just been – yeah. it's been so much fun and that's why I'm still here and and really enjoying every bit of this team that we've built. The people are great. you know everybody on our competition side are you know working overtime to get us ready week in and week out and you know the, the business people are diving in and everybody's just living it and you know it just gets you kind of gets your juices flowing.
0: So Steve, we've come to the time of the show. we like to ask all of our guests two things and we'll start with this let our listeners know where you got your start in this business
1: or how because you told us earlier where with Cato johnson well the we were second. just
0: looking for consistency with our theme song our theme music Tim. <laughs> but <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry i never i never
1: listened to the podcast so i don't, like I don't I know what do. the theme music
2: says <laughs> where the career Started, you know, got out of college, went to Notre Dame, moved down to Atlanta, and I, I actually taught tennis in the summers and had to get a job because I didn't want to teach tennis my whole life. And so one of the one of the guys that I taught at, at this country club in Ohio had a connection at Red Roof Inns, who sponsored Bobby Rahal and IndyCar. And I was like, oh, I like Bobby Rahal. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. He just seems like a good guy. Maybe if I go work for this company, I can ultimately work on that IndyCar team in some way. And so they moved me to Atlanta to open up a bunch of Red Roof Inns, like three of them. And I literally was doing everything like working laundry, hiring people, working the front desk. And I hated every second of it. So <laughs> I started making calls in Atlanta to find I thought I wanted to work in sports. So I looked up sports marketing. I started calling all these companies and I ultimately got one guy to to say he'd have lunch with me, not asking for a job, but just to do some networking. And I went into the office and I'm like, I'm here to see Bob. It's Bob Dickinson, who I'm still friends with today. And Bob and the guy goes, oh, he had to go to spring training. He's not here. And he could just tell I was deflated. He goes, hold on a second. He goes in the back and he goes, the president of our company is going to meet with you. And there's a guy named Tom Swanson. And Tom played tennis and taught tennis and I played tennis and taught tennis. And we just had this connection. And so I started working there like a lot of people for free. They were trying to recruit college uh, football players to represent them in the draft and I was a year out of college. So I'm like, Hey, I could help you. And, and, you know, I worked there while I worked at Red River Fins for about five or six months. And then I went to Tom, I was like, I can't do this two job thing anymore. Will you hire me? And he goes, yes, we will hire you. And so that's how I got into the business. And then my Miller deal started with Cato and then Miller for 14 years. And, you know, I, I've always wanted to just touch as many different parts of the business as possible. So you know, agency, and now property and brand, um, every different, you know, type of music marketing and every sport, you know, just to kind of round out my knowledge. And now, and, and almost every step along the way, I've been touching motorsports in some way. And now I'm, now I'm like a NASCAR guy, which <laughs> is fine. But, you know, I still like to do some other stuff, you know, with pigeon sports, I've I've worked in, you know, I helped off Austin FC on some stuff. I did some brand consulting. I still work with Epic Games and help them do some things with Fortnite and Rocket League. So, it's just put me in a nice position where I can I can leverage the experience I have in a few different areas and then really dig deep in on now this 2311 piece.
0: Yeah, we're probably going to bring you back when we do an esports episode as well, so if you don't mind. Yeah, it's
2: been fun. I've learned a I've learned a lot and um you know people like us are, are fairly successful there because they're it's such in its infancy versus you know like I I say things to them and they're like wow can you do that? I'm like uh, yeah we've been doing that for 20 years we can do that you know like
0: and people like us one of my favorite talking head songs there you go um and uh lastly uh one one solid piece of advice for particularly our young listeners
2: Um, My solid piece of advice would be to focus on business, right? Working in sports is, is a privilege. It's certainly more fun than other things you could be doing. But at the end of the day, yeah. But at the end of the day, you have to be a good business person. You have to have business experience. So don't get swayed by, only being focused on sports, you could be connected to sports in a lot of ways while you learn from people that can help you you know, down the road. And I, I learned that at Miller because I went to Miller to work in sports and then I told them I'm going to then run sports. Don't talk to me about brand jobs. Don't talk to me about any other job. I'm here to do sports. And six months in, they're like, would you like to be the associate brand manager on Miller High Life? And I'm like, what the hell? And, <laughs> and they kept coming to the point where like the CEO was saying, Hey, you should think about doing this other job. And I was like, I went home. I was like, well, he's way more successful than me and makes more money than me. I wonder why he's asking me to do another job. So I went and talked to the CMO at the time. And and I said, do you not think I'm very good at my job? And they go, no, we think you're really good. Mm -hmm. But for you to go from where you are to where you want to go, you have to learn more of the business. And I was like, huh, that makes sense. So I took a job as the marketing manager in Phoenix for arizona colorado utah new mexico thought i'd be out there for a year and a half maybe and i was there for almost five years and it was the best job i ever had. i learned more in that job that helps me even today than almost any other job i've ever had and it had some stuff to do with sports we sponsored the diamondbacks we had races we had but it wasn't sports in my title so be be very diligent on learning business and then you will go far in the sports business it's great great advice
0: advice. great advice appreciate it and listen uh steve really appreciate you joining us we know you got a lot on your plate so it uh it means a lot that you'd spend some time with us it's good seeing you good seeing you good luck in vegas and uh and throughout the rest of the season
2: yeah standing invite to come and uh hang out with us at a race and then when you're there and you you know, see the new car and, you know, you can talk to Bubba and Kurt and you can walk around and say, wait, what? Anytime yeah. you want. <laughs> By the well, way,
0: I'm so in love with the new car design and the fact that brands finally get their space where they belong and the numbers are slightly relegated to a little less importance. Not that they're not important, mind Yeah,
2: me. no, they're, it, I'm telling you, it's a real race car. It looks cool. Sounds even cooler. It's just, Again, different, and that's what the sport needs—is to just keep trying new and different things, and you know, building these personalities. So, watch race on Netflix. Let me know what you think, and uh, okay. great talking to you.
1: Yeah, thanks, Stephen David. I see a uh, I see a road trip to either Delaware or Pocono in our near
2: future. Sounds oh Sorry. yeah, way to pick two garden spots, McGee. Jesus, oh no,
0: Tim can go there. I I personally love and... watching Jeez. races at Pocono. He's going for pro- yeah on television. No, no, no! I love that tri oval. I I love it. I the love the tricky it. triangle. I, I I've had more trouble getting like getting rooms in Pocono, uh, but you no, listening- hey, got Steve. Steve's gonna send a twenty three eleven. I'm going to we'll get work. you
2: to the room that you can share the, uh, the champagne-shaped oh, together. The
0: honeymoon suite. Beautiful <laughs> Mount Airy Lodge.
2: Yeah, exactly. There you go. Mount Airy Lodge
0: with the All right. All right. heart-shaped but David, bag. I
1: just, I just assume Steve's going to send the chopper for us. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're big time. We're global.
0: That, we're, we it. are global. We're, yeah. You need to keep that in mind. Seriously, global audience. I think we just added Finland this week. Uh, yeah. Yeah. and we of, beat
1: you know, and we beat NATO to the punch. We, Finland joined us before <laughs> Finland joined NATO.
2: <laughs> it's so true. Oh god! All right, good work, boys. Take care, Keep up the good work. We'll be All listening. Right. All Thanks, right. appreciate it.
1: Thanks to Steve Laletta, another great guest on Wait What. Um, we've both known Steve for a long time, and it's great to see his continued success. So, now's the time in the show where we talk about what we're looking forward to over the next week. David,
0: what about you? So, an interesting story broke this week that the original, or what they call the real USFL, the owners of that group are suing um, to stop the broadcast and launch of the new USFL, which is supposed to launch uh, on April 16th. Uh, they're actually going to be, or supposed to be showing both on Fox and NBC, uh, the inaugural games. So it's, I, I don't know if it's gonna go anywhere, but it is interesting in a way. And, and part of why this caught my attention is because they brought the big dogs in. They got Larry Zonka out there now, um, <laughs> r- really, talking about how if Fox didn't think this was a, a thing and there was no equity in the old USFL, then why are they using it? And why are they using the same names? So it'll be interesting. And, and part of the reason this meant something to me is a, is a friend of mine who passed away earlier this year, who had become very late in my career, I guess, uh, uh, you know, someone that I, I, I trusted for advice, a, a gentleman by the name of Bob Caporal, who was one of the original owners, he was a sports lawyer but was one of the owners of the Boston Breakers, one of the original USFL teams. And, and he was the one when this news first broke that the USFL was going to launch that said, we still own that mark. And I thought nothing of it because we didn't hear anything, but it hit this week. And I'm kind of sorry that, that he's not there helping driving because he was one of the super smart guys I've ever known in this business, as well as one of the super gentlemen in this business. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what uh, if anything if anything big there halts what uh, what USFL is about to do.
1: Yeah, let's, uh, we'll certainly keep an eye on it. Uh, before I tell you what, well, I'll tell you two things I'm looking for. I just just saw as we were talking with Steve that um, the Players Association rejected the uh, best and final offer from from the owners. They walked away from the table. Um, I think you were chuckling at the beginning of the podcast. Um, best and final typically is never the best or fi- or final offer for that matter. I think the question is how quickly do they, to both sides, get back to the table, right. because there is truly a sense of urgency now. So I'll keep an eye on that. But also, um, I'm not a Duke basketball fan. Um, I am uh, I am a longtime UNC fan, but I will be watching uh, Coach K's last game against UNC this weekend from Cameron. My understanding is tickets are are going at Super Bowl like prices. Um, So whether you love Duke basketball or hate them, um, you know, a legendary career is coming to the end uh, and um, I wish Coach K great success in his retirement, but he's done as much for the sport of college basketball as anybody has in the last 40 plus years.
0: Yeah. Well, as a Wake Forest grad and a fan of the Demon Deacons, I am discouraged by your choices in college basketball. <laughs> Still, I am uh, with you on this one. I have a lot of friends that, that despise Kay and that program like you wouldn't believe. Um, I like beating him or challenging him. I don't mind seeing Duke lose. But at the same time, he's one of the greats, if not the greatest. So, um, yeah, wish him well.
1: Okay. So that brings us to the end of another episode of wait, what sports biz chat with DP and McGee. We hope you enjoy it. If you like us, subscribe, share it with your friends and we'll see you all next week.